how we doing, baby? Hey. I missed you guys. Long break. Everybody have a good Christmas. Happy New Year. So I, I want to start with this. I was uh, traveling over the break, and, and so I had went to Las Vegas of all places, okay? It was a mission trip. And, um, <laughs> and so, no, it was, it, was, it was regarding the book. I was meeting with the publisher there, and, and coming back, uh, I'm on a Southwest flight. You know, they don't have assigned seating. And uh, yeah, I love them too, but no assigned seating. And so I'm, I'm walking through the plane with my uh, luggage and I'm trying to find a spot, but the only thing that's there is, is middle section because I was like group seven or something. And so the only seats available are, are middle seats. And so I go all the way to the end of the plane. I, put my, I make the mistake of putting my luggage up in the place in the back because that's all that was there. And then I walked to the front and there was a middle seat in bulkhead. You know, and I'm six foot seven inches tall, and so I'm like, bulkhead will work, you know, but there's two guys there praying diligently that nobody sits there, and I'm like, hey, I'm sorry, guys, I gotta sit. And so I sit down between these two guys. One of them's a bigger guy, and the other one, super cool guy, and, and so I, I, I sit down, I don't wanna invade their space, you know, so I'm like, okay, hey, how you guys doing? And um, I'm just kind of riding like this. This dude passes out immediately, like he's snoring, and this guy, like he's got the Chelsea boots, the tight jeans, shirt tucked in with the blazer, hair slicked back, little scruff, you know, he's who I wanna be, you know, and, and uh, just looks good, like he, he's getting cool all over me. And, uh, and so before we leave, right, like we're on the ground, and, and so dude pulls out his phone and he just starts swiping. Not her, not her, yeah, her, not her, not her, yeah, her. Some of you were doing this before we were worshiping in here. We can track that through the web. No, we can't. It's okay. It's okay. And so he's, he's swiped. I mean, the dude, like, swiped, like, I mean, he must have gone through 75 girls. I'm not even kidding while they're there. And then we lift off, you know, hey, put your phone on airplane mode. And then we're up in the air. And, uh, and so I'm still, like, you know, dude snoring. And I look over here, and now he's looking at his photos. And, you know... I'm trying not to like look at his photos with him, but, but he's like holding, he's like kind of holding them in front of me. And, and so I'm, I'm like, you know, and it's, and like every other one is a, a naked girl. Yeah. I know none of you have ever done that. Don't do that. Here's just free advice. Never send someone a naked picture of yourself ever because it lives out there forever. What you go on the internet stays in the world forever. Don't do it under any circumstance. I don't care if you're married to him, don't do it. And so I'm, you know, of course I'm like, okay, look away. And, um, and now I'm thinking, all right, I got to share the gospel with him. Like, it's going to happen. Like, how do you want it? You know, <laughs> it's coming at you. And so I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, what do I do? How do I go? You know, is it bridge? Is it chair? Is it, you know, what, what are we going to go with? And, uh, and so right then, I'm like, okay, I, I, know, I know where I'm going to go. And so I like turn to him, and he like puts his earphones in. And I was like, okay, so now I'm like, all right, that's okay. Maybe I'll just ask him, hey, do you mind taking those out? Because I want to talk to you for a second, you know? <laughs> and, then, and so I'm, now I'm thinking, all right, what do I want to do? And now we have an, hours of flight, and I'm just thinking, okay, I've got to share the gospel. I'm going to grab him in the airport or something, you know? 
And so as we're going down, you know, they come up and they say, not, not like crashing, but landing. <laughs> they come over and they say, okay, you know, we're about to land, you know, uh, please prepare for landing. And he takes them out and he goes, you know, we'll be in Dallas in 30 minutes. I'm like, all right, I've got 30 minutes. I've got 30 minutes with this guy. And what you feel like in a moment is you feel like, man, I've got, I've got 30 minutes to save this guy. Now we know that's not true. It's the Holy Spirit. But I'm like, I've got 30 minutes to give this guy everything I can. All right. You guys are in a series, self-care. You guys, have, uh, I, I love the way you started the year. I feel like I've got 30 minutes with you to just share the, the best advice, the best wisdom that I know. And really what I want to give you are seven statements that this ministry has been built on. So grab a pen and a piece of paper. It's going to be a little bit different tonight, like drinking from a fire hydrant, but write down as fast as you can these seven things. These are seven things that this ministry was actually built on. Seven things that God used. Now I can say that humbly because none of these are my things. These are things that I've learned from much wiser people than myself, some of whom you're going to hear from later. These are just things that I've stolen, all right, that I'm going to give back to you, but it's the best advice that I can give you in the 30 minutes that I have. And so the first one, are you ready? Don't let your preferences rob you of paradise. Now, if you've been running with us long, you've heard some of these things. They've come up through the years. Don't let your preferences rob you of paradise. Here's what that means. If you just do what you want to do, you miss out on what God wants you to do. That means for the rest of your life, don't just do whatever you want to do. Life's not just about doing whatever you feel like. All right? Uh, I... I've lacked discipline in my life in seasons. And so my family and I, we went through a 40-day fast. It's hard. We fasted from all sugar, all things sweet, all carbohydrates. It's funny, my six-year-old was in class, and they set a a cupcake in front of him. He told his teacher, he goes, I can't eat that. I'm doing the keto diet. And uh, I was like, buddy, it's a fast, not really a diet. Anyways, and... And in those 40 days, just got to experience uh, a closeness with the Lord that I wouldn't have experienced if I hadn't done that. And then after the 40 days, it's so easy to slip back into laziness and whatnot. And so tomorrow, you might not feel like getting up early and getting in the Word. Uh, You may not feel like eating right. You may not feel like working out. And you may feel like sleeping with your significant other. You may feel like going back to that website or clicking that hashtag. But guess what? Life's not about doing whatever you feel like. Do hard things. It produces godliness. Discipline yourself for godliness. Like our generation, they're saying about us, We change jobs an average of every two years. You know what that means? We never get great at anything. We jump into something, and then when it gets difficult, we don't feel like doing it anymore. We jump into something else, and then we jump into something else, and then we jump into something else, and then we jump into something else. All of a sudden, you find us at 45 years of age. We haven't mastered anything because we just tried things every two years. Don't follow your appetite. That's what the scripture tells us. It's Philippians 3. It's talking about enemies of the cross of Christ. 
enemies of the gospel. This is how he describes them. Their destiny is destruction. That's hell. Their God, little g, God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Their, what does it mean that their God is their stomach? What does that mean? Think about that for a second. Their God is their stomach. It means they eat what they're hungry for. With no regard, if they want it, they take it. And who are they? Enemies of the cross of Christ. Don't let your preferences rob you of paradise. One thing that will help you with this is who you hang around with. So number two is change your playmates in your playground. Change your playmates in your playground. This is the number one advice that I have given throughout the years outside of the gospel when someone comes to me and they want to change their life. In fact, just yesterday, I'm talking to a couple who's going through a challenge in their marriage, right? And they're like, what do we do? And I'm like, you guys keep bumping up against the same things. You have terrible influences around you. You're going to places that set yourself up for, set yourself up for failure. Change your playmates and your playground. The Proverbs verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fool suffers harm. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Guys, you know this. Like if you get drunk when you go to the bar, stop going to the bar. Okay, if you sleep with him when you go to his apartment, or y'all get handsy, or you cross lines, check this out. Don't go to his apartment. Ever. <laughs> Ever. Okay? So change your playmates and your playground. Where, where you, I'll just say this. Where you go and who you go with, that's half the battle in life. You want to change your life? Change where you go and who you go with. That's going to be half the battle. It's no secret. And I, I've told this story over and over and over that what God has used more than any other thing in my life to take me from perverted, porn addict, womanizer, drug user, alcoholic, to pastor, as crazy as that is, was community. He placed godly people in my life that I didn't even like. Yeah, I know, you're like, oh. no, they know. They know I didn't like them. <laughs> Some of them are here. Today, I love them as much as any human being. Because they're brothers. They're, they're closer, they're friends that are closer than family. God used them to change my life more than anything. He's gonna do the same. So don't find community that you like. Don't look for people that have the same things in common. Just find someone who loves Jesus more than you. And God will use that. Number three, I would say pay close attention to what you pay attention to. Pay close attention to what you pay attention to. The reality is everything that you do for the rest of your life will start in your mind, your thoughts, your, your mood. If you're sad, you're mad, you're in a bad mood, it starts up here. It all comes from the thoughts that you feed. This is, this is so 
true. Your mind is a container. In that container, the contents of that container can be rotten or life-giving. And this is an area where I will tell you that science is catching up to theology. So just the other day, a couple weeks ago, Jimmy Fallon led the country in a one-minute meditation. Some of you guys have meditation apps on your phone. Buzzwords like meditation or headspace or mindfulness. These are common ideas in our generation. This is something that where we really, really, really get it right. But it's something that God said thousands of years ago that we would start our days by meditating on his word, filling our minds with the things of God, fixing our minds on the things not of this world, but of his world. Colossians 3 verse 2 says, set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. And so you need to pay attention to what you're paying attention to. If you're thinking, you know, man, wow, she's hot. Or why don't I have that? Or I wish I had her boyfriend. Or I don't, I don't know why I can't go there. Or my boss or the president, la, 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 right? As, you, as you're saying these things, as you're feeding your mind these things, you're affecting your entire body, your livelihood. This is why the scripture says, do not conform me, it's Romans 12 too, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed, be different, be, be renewed by the renewing of your mind. And you want to know God's will is? It says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. The battles, if you look in history over wars that have been fought, and battles that have been fought, they've been fought over real estate, territory, nations. There is a battle right now being fought over your mind. It is a supernatural, spiritual battle. The enemy, Satan, he wants your mind. He wants your thoughts. And he wants to fill it with envy and wrath and jealousy and judgment so that he can ruin your entire life. That's what he wants. He wants your ruin. And the scripture commands us over and over and over to renew our minds, to think about whatever's true, whatever's pure, whatever's right, whatever's lovely whatever is honorable, if anything is admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, that we would think about these things. It's Philippians 4.8. So fix your mind on Jesus. Set your mind on the things above. And just like your mind is a container, so is your heart. Number four, don't follow your heart, inform your heart. Don't follow your heart, inform your heart. This comes from Proverbs 4.23. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Your, your version of Bible may say, keep your heart with all diligence. That word keep there, what it means, it's like the way you keep food in the refrigerator from going bad, from spoiling. Keep your heart from spoiling. The way you keep it from spoiling is you be very careful with what you let in. And I know I sound like your mom or your grandma right now when I talk about music and movies and magazines and things you read, but there's truth to that. And again, science is catching up. And it's like all of a sudden you're like, you know, a girl's like, man, I just don't want to, you know, I'm just not attracted to good guys. That's because you've gone through a university that has trained you not to be attracted to good guys by what you've used to entertain yourself. You start listening, like start looking at the words of that song. And you're like, why do guys just want to use me to hook up? Focus on what you're watching. Think about what you're feeding your heart. It's like a bloodhound. You've trained it to look for those things. And you're like, he's awesome. And 
and he makes great money and he looks good, but should I date him? You got to inform your heart, right? 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You want to tell your heart where to go. One time my daughter Presley and I, we, we were traveling. I was traveling for a, a speaking deal. I took her with me. And we got in the rental car, and because I didn't know where I was going, we were actually in D.C., and I wanted to go see the monuments and whatnot. I got a rental car with a GPS, and as I get in it, I begin to follow the GPS. And I'm thinking that we're going to the Abraham, I'm sorry, the Abraham, the uh, Lincoln Memorial. And as, as we're driving, I realize at some point that we've traveled 20 miles the wrong direction because I never put the destination in the GPS. I, it was the person who had the car before me. I was still going wherever they wanted to go. <laughs> you wouldn't follow a GPS that you haven't entered in the destination. You haven't told it where to go. Likewise, don't follow your heart until you've informed it, until you've told it what to look for. Hey, I want to find this kind of man. I, I want to find this kind of woman. I want to surround myself with these kinds of people. A, a sign of immaturity is when someone's feelings define their reality. It's a sign of immaturity. A sign of maturity, right, is when you learn to test your feelings. As my friend has said many times, feelings are real, but not always reliable. Meaning you can't always trust them. You wanna make sure you fed that heart before you follow it, that you've told it where to go. And so if you're telling it where to go with The Bachelor or romantic comedies or pornography, it's going to lead you to a cliff, to a dead end, to breakup after breakup after heartbreak after heartbreak. And the reason this all matters is because who you belong to and that's number five. Whose you are is more important than who you are. Whose you are is more important than who you are. Yesterday, my family and I were in HEB. It was a, a new grocery store to us. And it's, it's, um, it was huge. And my six-year-old, I looked up and I couldn't find him. I didn't know where he was. Like, my, you know, Monica's like, where's Weston? I was like, oh. She was like, you had him. I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I lost him. And, and so I'm going through the grocery store trying to find him. And, and, uh, and I see that this lady had found him, you know, and she was holding him for us, if you were, like, kind of like, hey, we'll find your parents. When that lady saw that he was lost, she noticed he was lost. His eyes were filling with tears. You know, when you're lost in the grocery store, it's like you're never going to see your parents again. I don't know why that is. But... <laughs> He's just like, I'm done, you know, I'm going to the orphanage. And, uh, and so I, I come to him and, you know, when she found him, what she didn't ask is, who are you? She asked, who's your mom and dad? Who are your parents? Who do you belong to? Hey friends, for the rest of your life, there's going to be seasons where you find yourself lost. You're like, how did I get here? And in that moment, don't be focused on who are you? You focus on whose are you? That's the way to be found. Who do you belong to? And what this means is, is you can stop trying so hard to make a name for yourself and to build a kingdom because you're the son and daughter to a king. It's who you are. You're his. 
That's the most important thing about you is that you are a child of God. It's 1 John 1 verse 12. Yet all who did receive Jesus to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You're a prince. You're a princess. You belong to God. You're not just somebody. You belong to somebody. You're not just somebody. You're somebodies with a capital S, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And can we talk about why this matters for a second? Because what you do with your life matters. What that guy on that airplane does with his life matters. What he does with God's daughters matter. It matters to God. It matters to their dad, their capital F father. It matters. First Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits or outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. It says this, do you not know, Porch? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. Let me say it again. You are not your own. You've been purchased, bought by a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. See, you're his. The other day, I was staying at a friend's house. They were out of town, and I stayed at their place. And as I was leaving, you know, I made sure to make the bed just the way that it was and put everything up and do the dishes and put them back in the, the cabinet. In fact, I was leaving. I was driving down the road. They lived down this long road. I was driving down the long road, and I was like, man, did I, you know, I'd started a fire. Like, did I turn the gas off? I mean, I know I did. I checked it three times, but I'm going to go back one more time. Oh, I, I cooked eggs that morning. Did I turn the stove? I know I did, but let me go check one more time. You know why? Because it's not my house. It belongs to somebody else. And I want to leave it better than I found it. It's saying your house, man. It's saying your house. Yours. This ain't either, by the way. But yours. <laughs> yours. You got it on loan. Make sure you leave it better than you found it. Young men, young man, you hang out with her. You make sure you leave her better than you found her. Terrifying verse is in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 6. It says that God is the avenger of these things. Man is sobering. God is the avenger of these things. And so I don't want you to leave here and just try harder, do more, grab the bootstraps. Like that's not, we're, we're looking for surrender. The, a, really a posturing of I can't, but you can. May I become less, you become greater. It, it, the way that I've said it through the years here, the way that I've heard it said, if dependence is the goal, then weakness is the advantage. That's number six. If dependence is the goal, weakness is the advantage. See, the world is going to try to tell you that you need to be a bigger, better version of you, that you need to roar and get out there and get yours and make a name for yourself and hurry, hurry, hurry and save a bunch of money and retire and count seashells and whatnot. It's going to tell you that you don't need anybody else. And I want you to know that that's not the gospel. The gospel says that you're a sheep 
in desperate need of a shepherd, that you need someone to take care of you. And that you don't have to boast in your strength, that you can boast in your weakness because when you boast in your weakness, it gives glory and points to God. When you begin to talk about what he's delivered you from and you're like, I'm never gonna talk about that abortion, you begin to start to talk about that abortion and you, he sees freedom from that abortion. You begin to repent from your sins and speak them out. He takes your mess and makes it your message. And as he makes it your message and you continue to communicate it, he makes it your ministry. And he grows a ministry around you and all of a sudden what the enemy you went to use for evil, God, the creator who loves you is using for good. It's like he's given you a key and you're taking that key which is your story and you're unlocking the cells of other people sitting in those prisons that you sat in. You have power, authority, it says in the scripture to help other people find freedom. What else are you gonna give your life to? What else are you going to do with your life? Why? Why wouldn't you do that? First Corinthians 12, verse 9, where Paul is talking about the thorn in his flesh. He said, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. If you want to know how dependent you are, there's, there's a, a really simple test I can give you. How much did you pray today? How much time and energy and effort did you spend in prayer with the Father today? And this will directly tell you your dependence level, at least today. And if you're like, man, I didn't pray a whole lot today. I didn't spend a lot of intentional time in prayer today. Some of you are like thinking right now, like, oh, wow, man, since I woke up to right now, I didn't pray one single time today. And I would just tell you, you're not dependent on God. And, and see, Jesus, his whole job description, his criteria, what, what he does, he's a savior. He saves people. To save people, there, there, there has to be somebody who needs saving and so if you're like, I'm going to get to God because of what I've done or because of who I am or because I tried hard or by my efforts because I'm good, then you don't need saving. The gospel, you getting saved, like you getting into heaven to be with God forever starts with you saying, you know what? I need saving. I can't do it on my own. I keep bumping my head up against the same wall, making the same mistakes, doing the same sins like a dog to his vomit. I keep going to that which is disgusting and impure and a mockery of who God is. I need someone to save me, to reach into the miry pit and set me on the cornerstone. That is what I need. You know what you need to get to heaven? need. What you need most to come to God is need. To be in a place where you need him. Dependence. And how fast you are and how smart you are and how good looking you are and how gifted you are, that's not going to help you. But when you realize your desperate need for a savior, that's going to help you. And so how do you know if you've done that? Number seven, your behavior follows your belief. Your behavior follows your belief. Like some of you, you, 
you've said that you trusted in Christ. Just like me, you've said that you believe in Jesus. You've, you've said those words. But today in your life, if you were honest, you know you're not trusting in Jesus. You know you didn't trust in Jesus today. You know what that guy told me on the plane when I engaged him? Began to share the gospel. He said, oh, no, no, I believe in Jesus. I said, well, <laughs> what do you believe about Jesus? Even the demons believe in shudder. What do you believe? I, I can say, you know, oh, look, here's a chair. I believe there's a chair. Look, there's a chair. I believe it's there. Will it hold you? Yeah, I believe it will hold me. Why don't you sit down in it? Nah. No, no, go ahead and sit down in it. No, I don't want to. I don't want to. No, no, I mean, do you trust it would hold you? Yeah, I trust it would hold me. Sit down in it. Nah, I'm good. I'll just stand. I'm fine with standing. See, I can, I can see the chair. I can acknowledge the chair. I can speak the word. The chair is there. The chair is there. I can say that out loud. I can even say, I'm a chair follower. I follow the chair. Everywhere the chair goes, look at me. I'm chair follower, right? But until until I trust the chair to hold me, right? That is evidence of me believing. Until I come over here and I put my weight and it supports me. My life is in it, right? Now, this is evidence of the knowledge that I spoke, the reality that I said there was a chair here. Now I'm trusting in the chair. My life is in the chair. This is what Jesus wants from you. This is what he wants from you. That you would trust in his death and the resurrection, his death and resurrection as a payment for your sins, securing you to God's kingdom, that you're going to be there forever and ever. And when you know you're going to be there forever and ever, then you begin to live this life here as though that's what matters most. Like every minute, every breath, every heartbeat here, as though you're going to be there with God forever and ever and ever. So eternity with you starts right now in the way you have conversations with people, the way you date, the way you talk, the way you buy, the things you like, your hobbies, how you spend your time. It's all his. James 1 says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Do what it says. Don't just say you believe in Jesus. Do what he says. In summary, don't let your preferences rob you of paradise. Change your playmates in your playground. And pay close attention to what you pay attention to. Don't follow your heart and form your heart. Whose are you is more important than who are you. If dependence is the goal, weakness is the advantage. And your behavior follows your belief. When I left that guy on that plane, I thought, man, God gave that brother so many talents and so many gifts. And the world is affirming everything he is and what he's all about. And the truth is, from an eternal perspective, he is completely insignificant. He has nothing in eternity. He is wasting every 
breath of his life. I want to juxtapose that with 11 men who Jesus met on the side of a hill. See, Jesus, when he came here, he had one mission to save the world. He had a message that he needed to get out there, and he could have used anybody. He could have used toddlers. He could have used geriatrics. He could have used the elderly. You know who he used? Who he used? He chose to use young adults, some people 18 to 35. That was his strategy. He walks up to him on a hillside, Caesarea Philippi. They're standing up there. Hey, who, who do they say I am? Some say Jeremiah, others Elijah. One of the prophets, I don't know. Well, what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter speaks up. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. He's asking you this question right now. Who do you say I am? Insert your name right now. Daryl, who do you say? Michael, who do you say? Jennifer, who do you say? Kelly, who do you say I am? Sarah, who do you say I am? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, that's right, man. And I'm gonna do something that nothing's gonna be able to stop. I'm gonna build my church and the gates of Hades won't be able to overcome it. My favorite prophecy in all of the scriptures because then those guys are like, what are you talking about? You're gonna build a church. What is a church? First of all, and Jesus, I don't know if you noticed, but people don't like you. And you know, you're talking about building this unstoppable movement. There's only 12 of us and not even so sure about Judas over here. I mean, I think we're playing... <laughs> You might be playing for the other team. I mean, they kept screwing it up, right? Like, like in three verses later, or, or just a few verses later, Jesus is talking to the same guy who's like, you're the Christ, the son of the God. Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan, because he's like, no, you can't do that. He's always messing things up, right? He denies him to a 12-year-old girl. Like, no, I don't know him. You know, it's his best friend. No, who is that? I don't know that guy. You know, and he's like, he, they, they keep messing it up, these guys. They were cowards, complete and total cowards. But they said that he was the Christ. Maybe that's you tonight. I believe he's the Christ. You go back tomorrow, you're a coward. But something happened. Something awesome happened. In Matthew 28, eight chapters later, see what's happening. They saw Jesus on the cross. They saw him die. They saw him take his last breath. They saw him stab in the side. The blood, the blood run out. And they saw him show back up now. Like they saw the greatest act of all time. And those guys, they gave their entire life to advancing that message. Church history tells us that 10 of the 11 died martyrs' deaths. They were crucified, beheaded, crucified upside down, stabbed to death. Uh, one was skinned, his head cut off. One was boiled alive and then sent to a prison on a remote island, all because they would not deny the resurrection. These cowards now became courageous, and it's not just their death. They gave their life to it. Why? Because they believed it. And if you're here and you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sins and God raised him from the dead and his Holy Spirit lives in you, then what are you doing with your life? Because those guys that died, that wasn't a tragedy, okay? They are heroes. They told somebody who 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 told you so that you would know who he is. That guy on that plane, 
too cool for school guy, that's a tragedy. His life is wasted. It's a tragedy. He's got a lot of girlfriends. He's got a lot of naked pictures of those girlfriends. And he is a tragedy. A tragedy. I don't want you to be a tragedy. And so here's what we're going to do. It's been amazing to watch this ministry grow beyond these, the walls of not just this building or this church or this city. But this week, I'm going to get emails from South Africa and Australia and London and people all over the world, not to mention the United States, Tennessee and Alabama and Florida and California and Seattle. Because of what God is doing through you, And what we're going to do is we're going to grab all of those people from around the world and we're going to bring them here Memorial Day. And we're going, my friend is leading us in the charge of giving them a vision for what the church can be. It's the same vision that captured my heart here 17 years ago. And I don't want you to miss it. Would you watch this? Watch this. You know there's gotta be more. More meaning, more purpose, more life. Something to do that matters. You long for it, and it seems like you're so close to finding it. You've looked everywhere you can think of to find it. You've done all the good things to achieve it, but you still keep missing it. In your heart, you know the answer's Jesus, but you're still trying to make that connection. You know there's more. You were made for more. And there has to be a way to connect your love of Jesus and your God-given desire to do something great, to lead, to change the world. Good news is, there are others like you. Those who are ready to stop simply going to church and now ready to be the church. Some say the church is irrelevant, fake, and outdated. We say it's the movement you were made for. Yeah, it is. It's what you were made for. Hello, Porch. How are we doing? From the very beginning of us pouring in to our friends who were young adults in Dallas, Texas, and now, as JP said, around the world and in different locations that every week gather like you guys do here to stream and talk about this, we, we've had uh, um, something at the very front of our minds, and that something is this that we would raise a generation that God would move in such a way that we would surrender to God and then we would change the world through the lives of young adults. It's what Jesus has always done. You guys are in this room and gathering right now in this place and meeting in other places, but specifically the ones that are here with me in Dallas and the ones that are in Fort Worth. You guys are gathered in places because when I was your age, By the kindness of God, I I surrendered to God. I started to do these principles that JP talked tonight. And I was sick and tired of being underneath a dead, feckless human, come and listen to me, show up, shut up, and pay up church. 
I go, there's nothing in this Americanized version of the church that even remotely looks like this. Gates of hell won't stand against it. We're going to change the world kind of community of friends. And so I quit complaining about what I was underneath. And I started to just undertake what God had for me. And me and a bunch of folks your age just started to pray that God would take more of our hearts and we wouldn't follow our hearts. We'd inform our hearts and we wouldn't just say one thing and do another. We'd be people who believe that Jesus was alive and he still wanted to, to rescue people. He still wanted to do something great. And we said, Lord, if you're willing, why not with us? And then 19 years later, I'm no longer a young adult. But we've used our lives and our fortune and our sacred honor to invest in people. A bunch of us moved as much resources we had into, into putting together locations and uh, putting on those locations buildings that we could gather people and encourage people and equip people. And we prayed that one day the room would fill up with a generation that was well behind us, that they would surrender their hearts to God and God would use them to change the world. And then we started to gather you guys away for two or three days. And we could only fit about 1,200 into a place that we gathered you. And in 15 minutes, it was filled up with a third of the folks who were already in the room with us. And we just said, man, this has got to stop because there's a lot of places around the world that don't have something like this. And there's a lot of places around the world that don't have what I've been experiencing with my friends for the last 19 years. And we believe you're the generation who can change that. And so we just said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go and we're going to take our lives, our fortune, and we're going to invest it in, uh, in gathering young adults from all around the country, all around the world, on Memorial Day. We're not going to take just 1,200 of them that we fill out in 15 minutes away on Labor Day. We're going we're gonna to rent the convention center in Dallas. We're going to invite some amazing friends in with us. We're going to have incredible artists. We're going to have an incredible time. And we're going to be able to invite thousands of our friends. Let me just tell you something. That means each of you can invite two people who live somewhere other than right here, who don't have what we have every week, who don't have great teaching, great fellowship, who don't go, I'm not really sure I believe in God yet, maybe for some of you, but if there is a God, I want to learn about him from these people because they're not playing, man. They're not just trying to get me to come to some meeting. They're telling me there's something worth living for. This is your moment. This is what the plan has been all along. And it's time for us to invite other people to the party. And Memorial Day weekend, we're going to spend... Um, Three days together. And like I said, we're going to just, we're not, we're not going to try and bait you with amazing tantalizing things right now. I'm just going to tell you something. You want to be surprised and delighted? Come on. You want to come and you want to expose your friends to what you get every week because this is not about you. This is about the opportunity and the moment is now and a lot of you guys are surrendered to God. Let's just say half of you are. That means you get to invite four friends folks that went to college with you, folks that you work with, people you sit next to on planes, and it's going to quickly sew up and sell out. And so now's the time for you to go and bring them in so we can build them up so Jesus can get busy. Watch this. Planning churches and forming communities like the porch all across the world. That's what we want to do. The big call coming out of our gathering that's going to happen Memorial Day weekend is not, hey, will you go invite four more friends for next year and we'll, we'll rent out, you know, American Airlines Center and the next year Jerry World will be 100,000 of us that will gather because what we want to do is after we gather, we want to train, equip, and scatter and we want to plant communities of Christ followers in other cities than the ones we're already in. We want to disciple them. Some are going to come live with us. 
We're going to give them uh, an opportunity to be trained and live with us and, and walk with you. And then we're going to send them back in, in, in smaller clans. We're going to say, if you're someplace already where there's a, a community of Christ followers that are serious about the kind of things we talked about tonight, then let's send you back more strengthened and more ready to, to partner with them to change the world. And if there's not one, we're going to help you start one. And the vision from the beginning has been that we're going to surrender our lives to God and God's going to do something only he can do. He's going to use the likes of us to change the world. Listen, this is what God's up to. He's going to do this. And if you want to jump in with me to make disciples and be disciples and be people who don't just come to something that's cool, but we go, hey, I want to live for something that's great, then let's go. But this is something we're doing for you. We're not going to throw something that makes us feel good that in 15 minutes it's safe and it's covered. No, we have risked a lot. We're bringing in friends. We're bringing in folks that are going to bless you, but you got to go get your friends and say, hey, man, you know the thing I talk to you about that I do every Tuesday night? We're going to do something for you. You got to come. You got to hang out with me. And, and it's not going to be available for long. In fact, you know, next week, in fact, to gather with us, it's going to get a little bit more expensive. Next Tuesday, when you walk in here, it'll be a little bit more expensive. If you invite 10 people, it'll be a little bit more expensive. But you, got, you want to get in on it right now. And what I'm asking you to do is to be prayerful. I'm going to give you a second, just a moment, just to pray with me. Lord, who are the people that I've been trying to tell them? I think there's something about Jesus. I think there's something about really his people. Not, not this thing that we used to be underneath that maybe you know, we grew up around or, or grew up running from. But there's something about God and Christ that I'm starting to see. Some of you guys have had lives radically changed. You found forgiveness. You found healing. You found life. And this is your moment to invite some friends who will come and not just come to an event, but will walk out of there with an opportunity and a clear plan that we're going to give them to disciple them and to start or strengthen the work of God where they live. That's what we want to do. But we're doing this for you because we believe that you're surrendered to God. We believe you're ready to change the world. And we're going to gather people to scatter them for the glory of God. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right, I'm telling you, we can only take about 8,000 this first year. That's all we're committed to. I hope, frankly, if you guys, you know, if I have to write a huge check and say, take your place back and we go find a bigger place, make that our problem. All right? But let's just fill the room up. There's nothing worse than having an amazing time and seeing five empty seats and go, man, why wasn't my friend here? Because this would have been amazing to share with them. But we're not doing this, this thing every week for you. We're doing it because God has invited you to do something that's going to make your life everything you dream that your life is going to be. The way I say that last point is people say what they think, they do what they believe. You guys say you want to be the generation that changed the world, well, you got a chance to do it. And we're going to equip and we're going to inspire, we're going to bless, we're going to laugh, we're going to play, we're going to serve, we're going to equip, and we're going to launch. And we're going to awaken the world to the glory of our God and our King. Let me give you about 30 seconds just to pray. Just say, God, man, bring to my mind the names of some friends that I work with, folks, I've been telling about this. It's time for me to use and broker my relational capital to say, come and see. Man, come hang out with us. There's a generation before us that made some decisions that something's happening here. That raise up a JP and a DMARV and all the other folks that are serving you here so you can be blessed. And it's your turn. Father, would you just bring to mind, friends, 
maybe who are just somewhere who know you already, who, who just need to be encouraged, that we need to have relationships with so we can strengthen them and we can help them start what you want for them in your city that we pray would outshine anything that we're experiencing in this thing called the porch because we don't care about the porch. We care deeply about Jesus. And Jesus, I thank you that you care deeply about my friends. And so you, will you bring to mind people that don't know you yet that I should invite them to come and hear about the kindness of God? And would you bring to mind people that just need some encouragement to be strengthened they're going to be the leaders of the not just the next generation, but of your work in the world. Lord, speak to my heart. Father, I thank you for this room, and I thank you for rooms just like it spread out right now in little dots in this little region that we're in, but I pray that dots would grow all around the country, not porches, but communities of authentic, transformed, spirit-empowered, surrendered to God, free from the bondage to sin and self, folks who don't worship their stomach, but who have a Savior that has delivered us from a way that seems right to us but has led to death. Would you use us, this generation, would you use this room and rooms like it, would you use this age group, Lord, to preserve your people and to reach those who right now are staggering to slaughter? Would you let us take advantage of this resource that's being put together for others to see your kindness, your goodness, the joy and the fun we have, not when we're exploiting each other for momentary sexual pleasure or numbing ourselves with alcohol and drugs from pain. But Lord, may we have a party in this city that Dallas itself notes there's something different about these people. There's something better than what Vegas offers here. And these people love each other and they serve each other and they say they know a king. And we pray that that kingdom's reign would extend throughout all the earth. Lord, would you bring your people? Would you use us to be the ones that invite them? And I pray, Lord, as we now stand before you and sing, the greatness of your renown would spill out of us. And our lives would be the beginning of this next work that you're going to do. And may Jesus alone be the one who is glorified in his name. Amen. Let's stand.